This is not your century. This is Not Your Century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. December 5th, 1955. Page 2 is where San Francisco Chronicle editors decided to put the various stories they had about what they would have called Negro issues. In the biggest one, the Georgia Board of Regents were signaling that they were going to say no to Governor Marvin Griffin's request that they ban athletic teams from Georgia universities from playing against integrated teams. The governor's request had led to rioting by Georgia Tech students. They burned him in effigy, broke into the state capitol, marched on the governor's mansion. It's not clear to me if those students were charged up about civil rights or if they were more motivated by the fact that banning Georgia colleges from playing segregated teams would mean that Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets wouldn't be able to play in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans on January 2nd. That game was against the University of Pittsburgh, which had a black player named Bobby Greer. The same game was the subject of the second story on the page, an attack on its integration from the other direction. A racist group called the Southern Gentlemen's Association sent a telegram to Louisiana Governor Robert Kennan and Sugar Bowl officials, urging them to simply ban Bobby Greer from playing in the game. The last story, a small one at the bottom of the page, was from Montgomery, Alabama. The headline read, Threats Told in Bus Row on Race Bias. It quoted the police commissioner, almost certainly lying, saying he'd heard from some black citizens that other blacks were threatening them with violence if they didn't join the planned boycott of the Montgomery City bus line. That boycott did begin on December 5th, a Monday. It was planned as a one-day walkout to protest the arrest of seamstress and NAACP advisor Rosa Parks the previous Thursday. She had refused to give up her seat on a bus to a white man. Parks spent that Monday in court, where she was fined $14 for refusing the driver's order to move to the back. That sounds like a nominal fine, but it's about $135 in today's money. She appealed the verdict. That night, the new organization that had been formed to organize the boycott had a meeting. It was called the Montgomery Improvement Association, and its members had elected as its president the 26-year-old pastor at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Martin Luther King Jr., They voted that night to continue the boycott until the buses were desegregated. What happened over the next year was one of the most successful mass civil rights actions in American history. Taxi drivers offered rides for 10 cents, the bus fare. An elaborate carpool system was organized. And people walked. There were people who walked 20 miles to work. The Montgomery bus boycott made a national figure out of Martin Luther King Jr., and a civil rights icon out of Rosa Parks. It also provided a successful model for the nonviolent civil rights protests of the next decade, with King as the movement's acknowledged leader. But it was in the courts that the Montgomery bus lines were desegregated. Civil rights leaders filed a federal lawsuit to challenge the bus segregation laws, but Rosa Parks wasn't included, because her case was still winding its way through state courts. Instead, the plaintiffs were other women and girls who had been discriminated against before Parks. One of those was Claudette Colvin, a 15-year-old who had refused to give up her seat in March of 1955. She'd been studying black history in high school, and she's always said that when the bus driver told her to move, she felt like she had Harriet Tubman pushing down on one shoulder and Sojourner Truth pushing down on the other, 
and she couldn't get up. The federal lawsuit was Browder versus Gale. The court ruled the segregation laws unconstitutional in June of 1956, but the state's appeals went all the way to the Supreme Court, which affirmed the ruling in November and refused to rehear the case in December. Only then did Montgomery agree to desegregate the buses, and the boycott ended. The myth of Rosa Parks was that she didn't get up because she was tired after a long day of work, but it was a planned protest. Parks was hand-picked to carry it out. She was a married, respected leader in the community and a veteran activist. Claudette Colvin was a kid who'd had behavior problems in school and would get pregnant shortly after her protest, possibly from being raped. She's also long said that Parks's lighter skin color was a factor. Colvin is still alive and living in New York, and while she's said she doesn't want Rosa Parks to get less recognition, she and her family have fought for more acknowledgement of her role. Oh, and about that effort to keep the Sugar Bowl segregated? It didn't work. On January 2, 1956, Georgia Tech beat Pittsburgh 7 to nothing, as Pitt fullback and linebacker Bobby Greer became the first black player in Sugar Bowl history. This has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief. Get great journalism today at sfchronicle.com. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century.